your name correctly for me stacy dot and you run stakiwi how, how do you pronounce it so it's pronounced stay kiwi because my name stay c stay kiwi kiwi the national native bird of new zealand stay kiwi <laughs> and as we can tell by your accent you are new zealand yes new zealand okay so you are a paint maker, but specifically you, you do watercolor paint, correct? Correct. Okay. My first question is why watercolor paint? Why not acrylic paint or oil paints or any other kind of paints? From experience, I found watercolor paint is really, it's actually really hot right now. But besides that, it's great for the sort of society that we're in right now. So oil takes quite a long time to dry. Acrylic. And it's toxic. <laughs> yeah. And, and acrylic, it, you have to work fast because the layers, because that's where I started out. I started painting with acrylics. And then I had a play around with watercolors and I found watercolors were really good because you can, you can just do it whenever you need to do it and, you know, just do your layers as you go and come back to it. You don't have to work too fast, depending on the project you're working on. So I found that watercolours were really good for me and I thought as well, it works really well for the type of society we're in. We're very busy people. So, you know, you want to be able to have a type of tool that you can use when you want to use it. So it gives you that control, I guess, if that makes sense. So that's why watercolours. And I guess as well, I just fell down the rabbit hole on Instagram. There's this whole world of watercolour artists and letterers and calligraphers. People who use watercolours on clay and wood and all sorts. And yeah, I fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> so I started off playing with watercolours to begin with before I started making them. All right. But when was this beginning? So when did you start making your own? And then, of course, then when did you turn it into a business? So I started two years ago. And what happened was I started off with student grade watercolors. And I found that I was spending too much time mixing convenience colors. And I just, I just didn't have that time. So I found myself looking for specific shades which not some manufactured brands don't have, especially in student grade. And so artist grade branded watercolours are more expensive. And my other problem was that being in New Zealand, there isn't much to choose from. At that stage, there was no handmade watercolours in New Zealand. And I don't even think we even had Daniel Smith watercolours at that stage. That's, you know, going back a couple of years. So I started off student grade and then I... I came into this watercolour community online and I was exposed to these shimmer watercolours and then I couldn't access them in New Zealand was my first problem and I found that you could get them handmade because most manufactured brands don't make shimmer watercolours. Well, wait, hold on a second. Why were you not able to access it in New Zealand? I couldn't find anyone that was selling watercolours that were shimmers at that stage. 
So this is a couple okay, of years. So it's, it, so it's not like it's not like there was a ban on importing them. It's just that just simply no retailer. Yeah, no, re- no retailer. I think we've got two retailers in New Zealand and they don't stock all the brands either. And so I found myself looking for handmade and I found handmade and they were more expensive. They were more expensive, not just for the product, but the shipping. And I did order some. I know it always comes down to shipping. I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> for New Zealand, I mean, everything has to be shipped. So like, I, know. I can only imagine like, like probably like what, 15, 20% of your, all your online yeah. shipping is just, just yep. the cost of shipping. Yep. Or more than the actual product itself. So yeah. you, you, so anyway, I got, I ordered some and I think it took about two months for them to come. And in that time I got, not frustrated, but I was so curious and I just had to, the, the learner in me, I had to know how this can be. So I just started watching videos and I found out that it's possible to do it with very few ingredients. So that's where I started. I started making them while I was waiting for mine to arrive and I got hooked immediately. I just enjoyed the fact that I was making something that that I could use in my own art. And I just found that so rewarding. And so by the time the paints did arrive and I, I enjoyed them, I was already looking at working with mattes by then. So I think I started to move into matte pigments. Well, that matte pigment being like non-shimmer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we divide it between shimmer and matte. And so I started dabbling in sort of neon pigments to begin with because I was really keen to get into to, to neon pigments. And at that time, there weren't many to choose from either. I think what happened was it, with the handmade as well, there weren't many available when I wanted to find them. So it's not to say that they can't be made. It's just when I want, went, to, went to look for them, they weren't available. So I thought, well, I'll make my own. <laughs> And then I ended up with surplus. What do I do with all this extra paint that I've made? Oh, oh, maybe someone might want it. Maybe they might pay a few dollars. Okay, well, maybe I'll just put myself on Etsy and see if anyone would like some handmade paint from New Zealand. That's how it started two years ago. And it just slowly took off. And I think what really helped was networking in the community and getting to know other artists setting myself up with brand ambassadors also really helped collaborating with other artists and curating sets together that's a big thing that I do and it's just growing in in two years and then I think about half a year later I launched my own website moved off Etsy best decision ever because I have so much control and there are so many opportunities having your own website, what you can do, establishing your own community. And yeah, two years later, here I am talking to you. <laughs> I teach website design. So like I'm all for having your own website. I mean, yeah. as much as those platforms, Etsy and all that, they are great and I do like them and I even shop on them, but yeah. from a, from a, a, you know, the retailing and like, it is really nice to have your own website. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to be able to have like a forum where people can chat and blog as well because I love to blog and so it just seemed natural for me to to set up a blog as well 
so that people can read about what I do or how I do it. Have people guest blog on there as well, learn different techniques. So it just, yeah, it was a great decision for me. So I'm really happy that I did. Great. And you uh, you talked about social media and brand yeah. ambassadors. So like, I'm sure everybody chooses one sort of social media that they use the most. So what's yours? Is it Instagram? Yes. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. The as, art community. As it should be. Uh, yeah. Art community on there is just flourishing. Facebook, not so much. I like Facebook for Facebook events. Like I think mm. they do the calendar system, I think is really quite nice mm. and, and easy to integrate into like my own phone and things like that. Mm. But other than that, I, yeah. And birthdays. They're very good with telling me about birthdays. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Oh, dear. Okay. So you talked about like making, having your own pigments and creating your own colors. So do you, okay. So, uh, you know, bear in mind my little bit of stupidity. I have a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of stupidity. So bear with it. Do you make or, uh, I don't know, harvest your own pigments or do you buy from a retailer and then sort of, and then mix it together in your own unique uh, concoction? Both. I'm starting to move into foraging my own pigments. I'm all for that. Yeah. So that's something that I'm setting myself up for moving into working with natural earths, especially, you know, in New Zealand and also, you know, exploring different gemstones as well. So I'm, I'm just beginning that journey. For me, it's a time factor. So trying to balance making beautiful colors with ready-made pigments and producing and levigating and all of the process that goes into to getting a good quality pigment that you forage. I'm sorry, did you say levigating? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm It sounded like you mixed up two it. words together. <laughs> is, is that really a, a single word? Yeah. So I'm just it, learning It sounded myself. like, like I'm just levitating and Levit- navigating. <laughs> I'm looking it up now. <laughs> okay. Lever, not levitating. Lever gating. Because I'm still waiting on my literature to arrive that someone some someone recommended to me. But yeah, so levigating the technical terminology is reducing the substance to a fine powder or smooth paste. So with levigating that Oh, know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The like, sort of a mortar and pencil style yeah. thing, except on a flat surface with a yeah. gra- a piece of glass sort of handle that smooths it out and crushes it down. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, and so I guess with the process of foraging your own pigment, you want to make sure that um, the pigment that you're working with, you're separating all the gunk from the the good stuff. So working with a really fine mesh sieve and that sort of thing. So that's that's where I'm starting out. That way I can ensure that the product that that I would perhaps present is good quality. And consistent. Yeah. That's right. So, um, because from what I've heard, if you don't do it correctly, you can end up with very gritty paint that you might not actually be able to get to a very fine substance. And then if you're trying to use that in application with painting, then you're going to end up with particles that are still not broken down. So, yeah. So I want to make sure that I do it correctly, (laughs) if that makes sense. My father actually does icon writing using mm. gouache and watercolor paints, mm. and he actually did his own levigating for many years and mm. did ground his own pigment. And it just it is so time consuming and it so is. tedious. Yeah, and that's that's probably 
my main thing because I'm such a, a busy person and sometimes with the way my lifestyle is, things can change very suddenly and I just have to drop everything and and then focus on family. Is that husband or child that you have to drop everything for? So, so my husband and I own a supermarket together is one thing. So that is time consuming. The other thing is my son has severe special needs. So if something's not right with him, I have to kind of drop everything to basically deal with it. It would be very difficult mid-levigating to just drop everything. (laughs) Exactly. And also the fact that he has sensory issues. So it took him a long time to even just get used to hearing me in the background mulling. And now he's fine with it, which is good. But I don't I haven't gotten into like banging rocks and <laughs> noise cancelling headphones might be helpful. Like... No, unfortunately not for him because he, he is like a seven year old newborn, so you can't put headphones on him because he mm. doesn't have full head control. Yeah, so that's why it's so tricky. So my dream is that one day I'll have my own studio. <laughs> Just what you do is you go to the local university and you find some art student that would like to intern with you and make them do all the grunt work like that. That would be so handy if I wasn't living rural. <laughs> I'm in the tiny little town, two, about 2,000 people. It's like a, it's like a, we're off the main state highway. There's one street. We don't even have traffic lights. <laughs> we have one roundabout. <laughs> it's a small town. So yeah, it's pretty isolated. Are you are you there by choice or do you want me to get some help for you? Do you need to get out? <laughs> we are there by choice. It's lovely because it's such a it's like cheers. Everyone knows your name. That it's a mixed blessing. It is indeed, yeah. So it's great because there's that sense of community there. Uh it just means that I am limited with resources. So I do have to order a lot in in my situation. But yeah, that's where our um supermarket is based. <laughs> Okay, but you've already got the infrastructure for via the supermarket to be able to do customs and shipping and all that kind of stuff. So it actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's not too bad. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so along the lines of the pigment stuff. So I've always been fascinated. Like, why is certain paints made with certain things? Like, I mean, I'll take crazy ones like titanium whites and the cadmium reds and all these kinds of things. Like. Why are they made with those particular things and why are they not made with something else? Like, why can't a red be made from, I don't know, some other thing? Like, why is it cadmium? Why is it titanium? I mean, these, you know, theoretically these dangerous chemicals. Yeah. Like, why are there other ways that you can do it? Can you, like, just grind up, I don't know, tree bark or grass and make colors? Like, you know, does it have to be sort of pure chemicals? Some of them do have to be synthetic to get the application and the light fastness qualities. Some of those particular pigments have special qualities. With cadmiums, I do work with them. They are toxic, but from what I've read, the toxicity, by the time you've had it marry up and be mulled, it's very, 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 like, you would have to consume a lot for it to even have an impact. But what what I always emphasize is if if you're working with the loose powder, you must not 
go without a mask. You should be wearing a mask at all times, even if you're working with natural substances, but specifically the toxic pigments, especially if you're going to start working with copper acetates like verdigris or blue verdita, you know, you're going to start moving into even more toxic pigments. Gloves, protective eyewear, definitely. But with those particular pigments, they have qualities that are very unique and, and not just in terms of how you work with them and how they behave, but how they behave once they're cured and applied. You know, whether they have a certain opacity or transparency with application, whether they granulate or whether they're like a smooth finish. So most cadmiums have a lovely, beautiful, slight opaque smooth finish. And I guess cadmiums as well, they're very vibrant. So that's why they're also quite good. So I quite like them for that reason. Titanium white is the best white pigment in terms of light fastness. Zinc white is no good. And so for that reason, titanium white is a very good pigment to work with. Yeah, and I work with it a lot. It's great for making your gouache paints as well because it's got that chalky nature to it. So you can just, you know, add that in just to bulk up a pigment or, you know, if you want to make a pastel, then you will have a slight gouache tendency in the paint as well, which people love. Okay. How do you choose which pigments to work with? So literally like the whole world is your oyster. So how do you go, oh, you know what? I should use that color instead of this other hundred colors. For me, it is, I want them all. Well, which is sort of um, my point. Me, it's like it's you can make every color. You can. And it's it's just, it's really bad because now I want them all. I mean, I was looking on the Crema website and there is a meteorite pigment you can get. It's crazy. Or dragon's blood, which is more of a resin dye. But, you, you know, there's that curiosity. What will this pigment, because the pigment doesn't actually look like in powder form, it doesn't look the same once it's been mulled as well. So it's it's for me, it's it's curiosity. And some of the time it is whether or not someone has actually requested that specific colour. So someone might say, oh, Stacey, you know, I need an orange. So I'll look at all the different oranges and, and then I might try them all and see which one's the best in terms of adding that into the collection. So, yeah, it's crazy. You can end up with so many different reds blues greens <laughs> yellows right but i mean what i'm so what, what i'm sort of getting to with this is like as a business person mm. you kind of have to say like okay i can only offer five blues let's say mm. like you, you're like i i can't have a hundred different blues in my inventory with the hope that somebody's going to want all these subtle variations so like, have you found a sort of a the right amount of let's say a, a color like blue or a red or a green, that's the right amount that you as a business person to be able to keep your inventory versus sales sort of balanced well, that like, is, is have you ever made, maybe made too many and, and then sort of been stuck with some or have you sort of found that balance really well? I am in a position right now where I am having to discontinue some. So I found that I'm, re-evaluating the range, what is vital that I haven't got and I'm adding those in. And then I'm removing some that are not really that vital or perhaps maybe they were particularly difficult to make 
so it's a time factor or maybe they're too similar to another shade so I'm going with the more the better quality one so at this stage I'm I, I'm sort of adding in new colors like that I didn't even have which I'm so embarrassed about like burnt sienna and raw sienna I've worked with them but those I are so basic. Of course, I you know. should have those. I should have them. But what do you happened- have? Okras as well. Come on, these yeah, are like the fundamentals. Yeah. So I've got, I've got some. But what's happened is the way I've sort of done things is I've done a lot of curated sets, and so what I'm doing is I'm doing all these thematic sets. So some of those colours just haven't naturally jumped on board. So what I'll be next doing is doing earthy colours and bringing in all the the basics, basically, and I'm still working on releasing a new set of moody colours because what I often have been doing that is unique to Stay Kiwi Colours is the curated sets but also a lot of moody um, separating colours and those are really exciting at the moment. Daniel Smith do a few and I think Shaminka have just released some a couple of months ago as well. They've jumped on board. So I've been doing that for the last year and a bit and is making these colours that have these separating qualities that people really like instead of going down the burnt sienna and raw sienna (laughs) pathway. Well, to a certain point, like I, in my mind, of course, Mm. you know, I'm just a stupid creative person, whatever, that I was would think that as being in New Zealand that you would be have the ability to have this amazing niche of colors that are sort of only available from whatever minerals or whatever mm. are just in that region like you could be a massive like incredibly boutique niche thing if you yes. can try and build out a a mineral gemstone whatever that are only available in that region like that That's right. could be amazing Definitely. So that's that's where I'm going as well. I've just got all these ideas in my head like bubbling around because I, I also balance supporting people with making their own watercolours as well and making my own. And Okay, wait. Okay, wait. Take that back a step. Custom watercolors. How Custom. does that even work? Like, because if I, okay, like the, my issue with this is that the internet, okay? Because like if you're in New Zealand and I'm, let's say, in Europe or Americas or wherever, and I say, oh, I need a custom color. Could you do it like this? Like if you were to send me that picture over the internet, the, c- the color is going to come out differently on my screen. So like how do you get that color balance correct when you're doing custom work? So I try and send them the dots, a dot sample, so that they can sample them. So that's why having brand ambassadors is is really good as well, because when I'm working with new colours, I will send them some dot samples to to give me some feedback so that, you know, they can tell me what they think about the colours. And it is tricky, though, because you do sort of have to rely on the technology to send through the pictures. So it's about getting the best photos taken in different ways and so that they can see what they look like as best as possible but also trying to see if we can get some tested as well so i can get some feedback about them okay now what's this process of so let's say i'm a watercolorist i'm sitting around i'm like god i really want a i don't know orange because you brought up orange already so i really want this orange how does the process of me go from me being a watercolor sitting in my home doing my thing go to contacting you and then like what's the process of actually creating something that matches my needs as a consumer so 
usually I can be contacted through Instagram or on the um, website, like how you contacted me. And that would just lead to a conversation about what it is that they're looking for. And if if it is possible for me to, to do that, then, then I say, okay, let's do it. And, and from there, I would, it would depend if they're looking for a specific, some people have been real specific about certain pigments. I want the specific one, you know. Well, that's what I was about to ask. I was yeah. like, so what would be a criteria that you wouldn't be able to do? I have said to some people, I haven't been able to do, say, rose matter because it's a very expensive pigment. But so in that situation, I've tried to mix a close approximate shade. And so that's the, the best I could do. Um, otherwise, I'll just say, sorry, I can't get, I can't surplus that pigment or I don't have that pigment in stock at this stage. So that's pretty much how it is. I mean, I've got hundreds of pigments, but it might just be that one pigment that I might not have. Um, <laughs> as it always is. Yeah. As it always is. So I'll just say, look, I've got all those ones, but I don't have that one. And it's a very expensive pigment to source, and I'm just not in a position to go there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, it's a challenge. I feel like, oh, gosh, should I get it? It's a hard one. Well, as a business owner, it's always hard of, like, what should you have in stock with, yes. with the sort of preconceived idea that you believe people might want this in the future? Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing, you know, there are a couple of pigments that I have got in just smaller amounts and then just making sure that they know upfront how much it might cost to purchase that pigment or maybe just offering it in smaller sizes is another option as well. So if, you know, not a half pan, but a quarter pan or a dot card, and then that way, if they really, really like that color and they want to pay more, then I can source that pigment and then go from there because there are a few that I, I have got, but I've only really released them as uh, smaller sizes so that so people can actually trial them first and see if they like them. Yeah. And I've noticed also on your website, you have some, um, I'll call them unique names for some of your uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, colors. Yes. Uh, so uh, why, why and how do you come up with your colored names? Well, I really, I'd like to know which ones caught your attention. <laughs> well, I'm currently looking at Pek Pek Pukiko Blue. Oh, okay. So Pukiko. And and hold on, wait. And Duck Blue. and Duck Blue. Magic Carpet. Okay, so those. That's not a color. Those are not Pantone approved colors. Correct. You are 100 percent right. So let's start off with Magic Carpet, shall we? So that one was a recent custom color. And it involved mushrooms. It did not involve mushrooms, but it involved okay. Aladdin. Right. Because the, the color itself reminded them of the magic carpet from Aladdin. So she said to me, Stacy, wouldn't it be cool if we had a purple that had a gold shimmer to it? And I was like, okay, let's do it. And then she said, you know, it reminds me of the magic carpet from Aladdin. So magic carpet. Duck blue was another custom color. And that one was actually a gift that someone curated for someone who liked ducks, and she, she just said she she just called it duck blue. Is this is this like like Klein blue, like that you're you're basically naming them after the people that are, are designing them? So yeah, they're basically directing me. It's great. <laughs> 
and it makes it exciting. It's it's a process that you go through. You're establishing that uh, relationship with one another. So it, it has a story to it. Some colours like Burnt Sienna, I will release. They'll just be called Burnt Sienna. But there are some colours. Yeah, there are some colours that I have five, three pigments. I can't call them all the pigments. So instead, in those situations, I will either name it or the person curating the set will have a theme and then they'll name it. So what was the third one you mentioned was Pukeko Blue. So that was also named. It was a competition giveaway. And I put out the three colours. And then I just asked everyone to tell me what they thought in terms of naming those three colours in the set. And a New Zealander came forward and named the three colours Pukeko Blue, Kiriru Turquoise, and the third one was Kōtiri Green, named after three native New Zealand birds and the specific shimmery colours that those birds have that are correlated with the shimmer watercolours. Because with shimmer watercolours, they don't come with names. So you do have to think up a name for them, like the duck blue. That was a shimmer as well. So that's when you do have to think up names. I mean, I could just say shimmer blue, but then I've got different shimmer blues or shimmer dark blue. So that's boring. Um, <laughs> it is, quite honestly. Yeah. Yes. So I, I, yeah, I like for them to have a autonomy in the, their custom as well in terms of naming. And if they're stuck, I can give them a few ideas if they like. But generally, they usually come up with their own idea, which is really neat because how about that, being able to name a watercolour and, and people are now purchasing it. It's so special. Okay. What I come from a commercial background, you know, web design, this kind of stuff, photography, all this jazz. So like Pantone and coming up with consistency of colors and especially in like branding and this kind of stuff in the commercial arts. Mm. So like when it comes to paints, are there standardized things that you sort of try to match that are industry wide or is that a concern for you at all? So say for example, Burnt Sienna, so I'll just keep it as it is and then just make sure people know what pigments I've used. So I'm upfront about communicating what pigments are used in the process so people know what they're getting. Uh, so especially if, you know, if it's a mixed pigment, so people know these are the pigments that have been used, especially if people mostly want to know, are they toxic pigments or are they vegan? People want to know, have I used honey in the process? Yeah, those are the, the main concerns that people tend to want to know. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Sort of. But <laughs> along that line, yeah, yeah, so you mentioned honey, and I've ha I actually had another uh, Ruby Mountain uh, yeah, yeah. paints was on the podcast as well. So what is the concoction that you ended up sort of coming to as your binding material and all this other kind of stuff? So I use Gumma Rabbit. Or is it proprietary? Do you not want to say? It's no, right. it's on my website. I've got the recipe there. <laughs> don't give away too much or people won't need to buy from you. I don't mind. They still buy. Because <laughs> some of my colors are really unique and that's that's the thing, I guess. Because I don't share those recipes because it's really hard to replicate certain of them, especially those separating colors, because you have to work with specific pigments to get those qualities. So, they'll, you know, that's where it stops you know, the recipes for the actual colours. So with my binder recipe, I use boiled water, gum arabic powder and clove oil for preservative and glycerin for softening qualities. No honey. 
what does that make a difference? I like honey. What, what, why do people not want to use honey? Basically, I don't like working with it. <laughs> it uh, I found that I was able to make them without using honey. Uh, I'm not the only watercolour maker that doesn't use honey as well. I also think that the honey influences the way the behaviour of the pigments. <laughs> it could be something to do with the amino acids in the honey. I don't know. But because I'm able to use and make paints without honey, just goes to show you don't need it. Uh, <laughs> it's just a preference. Some people use corn syrup as a alternative but I have found that I, th I think I did trial it in the beginning it just the paints are much stickier they take longer to set and so I just tried it without honey and added in the glycerin to give it a softness and works fine without honey lovely I'm not judging it was yeah no, not at all. I'm thinking of the followers that might be listening that do use paints that have honey in them and what I'm saying is it's a personal preference and there's no right or wrong it doesn't have anything to do with like the vegan non-vegan well, like it, it does it has it yeah so vegans don't want to use paint that have honey in them I'm confused maybe I don't understand what a vegan is but they don't <laughs> like honey they don't want to use the product that's got animal byproduct in it. So that's what it comes down to. And there are some makers that use Oxgal as well. So they don't want product that has that in it as well. So I'm sorry, wait, Ox what? <laughs> Ox Ghoul, maybe? Ox Ghoul or Gal? G A L. -L. Never heard of it. Yeah, I'll look it up for you. Because I could. <laughs> Well, the, um, in front of you the like, other you like Googling things. It's I do. great. Go ahead, have fun. So you yeah, can use fine. it. It's obtained from cows and mixed with alcohol, used as a wetting agent. Okay, obtained from what part of a cow or what? So it's the gall. G A L L? Gall? Is that how you say it? Or gal? I don't know. Oh, like the gallbladder? Gallbladder, like? yeah. Okay. My accent, sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. No, no. We're, 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 it has nothing to do with your accent. It was just my final association with gallbladder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so that is an animal byproduct as well that is sometimes used. Obviously. Yeah. Yes, okay. For that reason, that's what they want to know. And so I just basically say I don't use it. And, yeah, it's fine. And it's personal choice. I have got lots of handmade paint from lots of other makers, and their honey paints are lovely. And so it's nice to try different paints from different makers. What I have found the main difference is, is that they are stickier. And sometimes if it's particularly humid, which you can get in New Zealand, they can actually get very sticky and sometimes melt. So it is all about getting that balance with the honey in your binder recipe just right. And, and that was too much pressure for me. <laughs> So okay. it's just easier not to use it. And they work fine. No worries. They re-wet fine, which is okay. the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something that actually I forgot to ask you about, which is sort of how did you even get to like being a watercolorist and a painter and all this? So like what's your background? Were your parents creative? Or like were you even where were you even born and raised for that matter? So I I'm born in New Zealand and I've mostly lived in the so I'm in the North Island closer to the top of the, I won't use my hands, so co closer to the top of the peninsula. Right, so you're near the top of the bottom, got it. Yeah, so in the North Island, and so it's it's much warmer up there, for one. So my grandfather and my pop, so both my 
parents' fathers are oil painters. My mother also painted with oil. So there was lots of artists in the family. So naturally, I drew a lot when I was younger. And my background as well is I'm a qualified primary primary school teacher. So before I had my son, I was teaching and I would naturally do a lot of art with the children. That's what I did. And so when I stopped teaching and then as a mum, that was my outlet was art and then moving into acrylic and then into watercolours. So, yeah, I guess I've always drawn in some way, I guess, yeah. So I love art and been around artists and, yeah, just seem natural in a way. Yeah. Okay. Any, um, not to dismay it, but any formal education? Uh, no. I took art history papers at university. So I did do papers in art history at school, at high school and at university. So I have had an interest in art. But I found art in high school frustrating because you are put in a box and told what to do. No. And, you know, <laughs> teaching to the test, basically. So you're, you're basically learning what you need to learn so that you can, you know, pass a grade. And I don't, I don't believe that that's the way to do it. And you know, I'm a professor, by the way, right? <laughs> but at university, I found you have more autonomy with what you do at university. I found I had more autonomy at university when I was learning and, and as opposed to high school. Very different. If it's a good professor. If it's a good pro- I've seen lots of bad yeah. professors at university as well. So, like, if yeah. it's a good professor in the university setting, absolutely, I agree. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what I think it comes down to is is the right the right teacher that encourages you to go with your vocation. I also had excellent teachers in high school. I don't want to ah, discourage or dissuade yeah. any great high yeah. school teachers as is well. And Some I did too are, as well. I had a fabulous English teacher who encouraged me in my poetry. And so I think I spent a lot of years in high school focusing on poetry and moved away from visual art and went into creative writing. And so that's sort of where I went just because of his, his influence. Yeah. So that was quite neat. But you're right. It really does come down to the right, the right teacher who can tap into that talent and bring it out. That's what I think is so magical about teachers, actually, that they can do that. Yeah. Well, the, the good ones can. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I I mark because, of course, I'm I'm also very heavily criticized by both my peers and my students as being not that good in that in certain ways and every teacher has their like every teacher connects with certain students better than other Correct. students that's like, exactly so like, it you know no per no teacher is going to connect 100 percent with all their students they're just, that's it's gonna, right it's just not going to happen with them all and that, that's the hardest thing as a teacher actually i found you know, that you, you might not be able to tap into every single student or you might spend a whole year and then you get through. Yeah, that's what I found. The painful ones for me are, are the most creative, most talented students that somehow you can't connect with. It's like you, ha- you have everything to be able to be successful and I cannot get through to you for some reason. Yeah. That's the one that, that those are the ones that keep me up at night. Yeah. And, and in the end, they're the ones that you actually end up having a deeper relationship with once you connect with them. 
if you connect with them. If you connect with them, exactly. <laughs> for, for me, you know, I'm working with six and seven year olds. <laughs> so it's a, I'm on the other spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not a lot of connecting going on there. It's more like just like don't eat the crayon kind of thing, right? Yeah, I often had a lot of the anxious children in my class. So often it was making sure that they felt safe and that they felt that they were valued so that they could come out of their shell. So those were sort of the unique students that I ended up working with, which was pretty neat. I wonder if that's why I was put in art classes as a kid. Was I one of those unique kids like that? Probably. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. 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 Interesting. (laughs) Hindsight's 2020 on these things. Right. (laughs) Moving forward. uh, One question I always wonder about, since you are the sort of, you know, I'm going to be really formal here, like you're the manufacturer of a product. So therefore, you probably have some recommendations on sort of how to use the product. So I'm always interested when it comes to, let's say, watercolors, papers brushes what do you recommend what do you like what do you dislike Hmm. you know these are the things that people want to know like you know if you're a beginner watercolor watercolorist you if you want to work with an artist grade paint you want to do it its justice by working with artist grade paper and paint brushes but it's really hard because you only know what you know and all the websites will tell you whatever so the best thing that i can do is actually try and share that visually on Instagram as well as talk about it. So they can actually see how the brush works, how the paper behaves with the paint on the paper and that you can get these amazing qualities from your paints with the right tools. So I usually tag in the, well, I try to tag which tools I have used. So whether it's a quill brush from Raphael or whether it's a round brush size two or if I'm using black watercolor legion paper or cold press generally I work with cold press and which brand it is people want to know so I'm happy to share that because I think that those paints should be used with the right accompanying tools to get those beautiful effects well like I'm all about sort of the scientific investigation of like the interplay between materials Mm -hmm. so you know like so like for me as let's say i were to start watercolors which don't get me wrong i'm i have no hand dexterity i will not be doing that but anyways (laughs) i would want to see like a side-by-side comparison of like this is the exact same brush exact same color put onto these five different papers and how it reacts differently to the different papers side by side yeah because it's uh, from what i know about it because i've done printmaking and things like this like i know a little bit about this but it's going to be different like like it's not you know you put five different brands of paper or five different surfaces of even the same brand and how the they interact is going to be rather dramatically different or else why make all these things That's right. And there's some amazing accounts that do that as well. So I think I've actually put one of those accounts on my resources page to go to direct her recommendations on tools because she actually specifically tests papers all the time and brushes and paints. And so I'm quite happy to share that so that people know. And then as well as that, guest bloggers on to share their techniques, brushes, 
wait one second. Hold on. Somebody is paid to just test out different materials? Like, that's a job? No, I don't think they get paid. They just do it for themselves. But some people do. They're brand ambassadors for, say, uh, can't say the name of the the brand. (laughs) It starts with an H. Yeah, that's them. Hammenmühl. Yeah. Yeah. um, German. Yeah. Amazing paper. And so the, a couple of my brand ambassadors are brand ambassadors for them as well. So they get sent papers to test them out, which I think is really awesome, you know, to get that feedback and share that with other people to see what qualities can exist on different papers. And the same goes for brushes as well in terms of which brushes to use that, that you can get different effects out of them, especially when you've got, say, for example, watercolour artists and watercolour letterers. You know, they, the letterers want to know the, the, the type of brushes that you can use that give you the perfect control with the brush, the pointed round brush that snaps back to a beautiful, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask a really stupid question. Watercolor, could that be used in a calligraphy pen? Yes. Okay. So you've also got calligraphists that use matte or shimmer watercolor paints, and it's tricky, I hear. But it's it's doable, so and it looks beautiful, really beautiful. Well, calligraphy always looks beautiful. Oh yeah. yeah, and so it's it's really quite amazing that you can you know that, that there uh, within this art community there's so much talent there, and to see your paints that you've made in different variations expressions is really so rewarding, and so. It's, it's quite amazing, actually, when you think about it. I haven't tried calligraphy. I'd love to. <laughs> My father does calligraphy, and so I was suddenly like, wait a minute, can I get him some colors for his pens? That would be beautiful. But anyways. The, <laughs> yes. You, you've mentioned a number of times, though, like this uh, building of this community. Now, this is, a, you know, whether you're a manufacturer of an art, of a product in the arts world or whether you're an artist, one of the biggest things is to build a community mm. around whatever you do. So what techniques or what, how have you built your community? Heck of a lot of being online, networking. <laughs> Which is the one thing none of us want to be doing. Like, so, we- yeah. In the very beginning, it was like constant and it was unhealthy. I'll be honest with you. It was not good. But it certainly helped because it's about having a presence. It's about having an authentic presence. So, <laughs> because, um, it's such a popular buzzword. Authentic. It is. I know, right? It's like you, authentic. A, an authentic, curated presence. There you go. Now oh, you got yeah. all those words. How yeah. about that? Sexy. Hmm. That's and that's really important to me because it's about having that integrity in the community as a person. Are you there or are you not there? Are you available? And so that's something that I put a lot of time and effort into in the beginning, and it, it was a lot of time. And over time, once I built up that presence I've been able to sort of slowly sort of just take it easy as well as having that community there it's sort of just generating itself now so I still am available as much as I can be more so than I probably should but that's my choice Okay. Now, yeah. So you're you're in New Zealand, and so like one of my big questions would be: 
what's the range like so where where are your customers are they australia or are they europe americas what's what's your sort of i would say demographic 70 percent are american really yeah a big group of um wonderful americans it was mostly american but now it's sort of european as well and suddenly new zealand <laughs> Australia, but more so New Zealand now, which is really great. New Zealand is a shy. Well, it's always interesting. Like I always say this about artists in general: is like they th they everybody seems to think your market is where you are, mm. but oftentimes your best market is what quite honestly not where you are because yeah. everybody else can get whatever you can get because they're they're there with you. So oftentimes you have to go to a different market. So it sounds like in your case, the Americas is one of your your biggest by far. Mm. And I think as well with New Zealand, if I put myself in the position I was in a couple of years ago, I was looking for convenience colors and I couldn't find them. So I looked elsewhere. But now what I'm finding is those New Zealand artists are finding me and like, oh, you've got the colors I want. So they're all buying specific shades that are convenient shades. So that is telling me that, you know, there, they're in the position I was in. <laughs> it's just tricky. So uh, it's great. Yeah. Okay, now within that though, because a lot of this is also sort of about the business of, like how do you be a practitioner in the arts world of doing mm. whatever? So in your case, it's, you know, being a manufacturer of a product. So are you only online or are you hoping to, or are you already currently in so many retail stores or outlets? That is something that is going to be happening in the future and hopefully local. That will be next year. And it will probably just start off real small and local to begin with and see what happens in, a, in response to that. It was just a matter of, I guess, because I of the locality of where I am is a bit tricky because I'm out in the country. And uh, so the nearest town is where I'll be, you know, bigger town will be where I'll be sort of having a go at that. Town or city or metropolitan area? Um... <laughs> Slightly bigger town. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not yeah. city. <laughs> so the major city that's closest to me is Auckland. It's a pretty major city. It's pretty major. It's about 40, 50 minutes. It's not far. That's good. Oh, it's, it's lovely. Yeah. So it's not bad. There are opportunities there. So I'm just sort of easing myself into it. Yeah. Because I don't want to burn out either. Is burnout something that is uh, a concern? Uh, it is because of the stress associated with being a special needs parent. So it's always sort of there. Does it make sense? Sure. Because something can go wrong. Well, you have, you have you're a special needs parent. You're a wife. That's yes. its own stress in and of itself. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> and you're now like basically part slash full owner of two businesses. Yeah. So I mean, I, I believe you've just designed like the most stressful life ever. That's pretty much it. <laughs> But the thing is, with watercolors, that is my therapy. That is my outlet. So that's why I have to have that in my life because I just, it's so therapeutic being able to work with color 
and produce and, and the actual process of making paints like mulling. Yeah, that's the part that I really enjoy and it's very therapeutic for me and I really struggled, to be honest with you, during lockdown because I could not make paint. Why not? Because my son was at risk, we had to isolate away from home for six weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, and he's at home all the time then too. Yeah, so we actually had to isolate away from our home for six weeks. Why? Because my husband was working in the supermarket and so he was exposed. And so we thought the safest thing to do was to just not be near him. So he would stay, take care of the store. And we were apart for six, seven weeks. So it was really hard. And mm. I really don't want to go back there again because okay. it was, oh, not, not, I can talk about it, but physically do that, the lockdown again. Hell no. So <laughs> it was really, really like, tough and I did not have the ability to make paint or work with my pigments and I found that I didn't have that outlet. I was able to paint but it wasn't the same and yeah when I came back home I also wasn't able to get back into painting because the lockdown the way it was done in New Zealand we went down different levels where they had specific rules so when we came when I came back to our physical home Thomas wasn't able to be at school so I was still looking after him so I wasn't able to make paint I just didn't do it at all because I needed to focus on him and he wasn't able to go to school as well so I had to do all of that it was longer than six seven weeks actually but (laughs) I like marveling at my pigments and just looking at them in their raw form (laughs) okay yeah to each their own that's exactly (laughs) now what Okay, but so you're talking about COVID and all these kinds of stuff. Yeah. And so did, did you see any change either like for better or worse uh, as far as your sales? Better. Really? Much better. I think what's happened is during COVID, people have been in a position where they've been at home and they've been bored. bored and they're finally dabbling in that paint that they really always wanted to get and they just didn't. Yeah, that hobby that they always thought they yeah. would get to later. That's like, exactly now yeah. you have time. And I had so many inquiries, you know, oh, I really want, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm really sorry. So when I started up again, there was that excitement, you know, that I could reopen. And, and as well, because New Zealand COVID pretty much was very short-lived, we were able to get back into things fairly quickly, you know, and, and operate normally within a couple of months that meant that I could get, get get back to shipping things and everything and people knew that New Zealand was safe so they didn't mind buying from New Zealand as well so does that make sense absolutely yeah so I just went for it and how, how about the holiday season has this also been good for you yeah You've, you've seen an uptick in the holiday shipping because, I mean, everybody's complaining about the, the international shipping and how they're overwhelmed and blah, blah, yeah. blah and stuff. So like, no, it's going well. Yep. Okay, good. Very well. No, I mean, I, I'm in a position where I can't fulfill demand. That is an excellent position to be in. Yeah, it, it puts pressure on me because I want to be the person that can provide to everyone, but I can't say yes to everybody. I'm, and I, it's working through that. 
here's your platform. You can go ahead and apologize to everybody that you can't help. Go right yeah. ahead. I'll, I'll give you give you a free flurry. Yeah, because I just love to help people. <laughs> I'm a I'm a yes person at heart. So <laughs> so what I did do recently was I offered custom order slots, and that meant that people could actually have a slot and they can tell me what colors they want, and then. Then I work through those slots and then I open up some more. But uh, yeah, that that was really good for me to, to offer that because it means that I'm saying, hey, I don't have those colors available for you, but now you can ask for them. You know, I am here and I can do it, but it's just I've got to be careful about how many custom orders I do. <laughs> okay, wait, I want to get into like a little bit of the, the nuts and bolts of sort of the running of this this company. When, okay, when it comes to like you keep saying term like make paints or mull paints or like all these different terms that you're using, when you go and sit down and do this, so let's say like make a color, how many, I don't even know what pans do you get out of that? So like you know one process of production creates how many pans? Twenty five to thirty. That's it. Yeah, not much. I, would no. have, I was expecting over 100 kind of. No. Oh, well, 25 to 30 of one color. Yeah, no. Because if I'm working, I'm doing a set of six colors, that's 25 to 30 of each of those colors, of six colors. So, yeah. Still doesn't sound like a lot to me. Consider, no. Because I mean, I'm sitting here thinking anybody in the world could be ordering this. So the, you're literally only talking 30 orders. Like that's it. So like thirty people will get these paints. Like that's a pretty limited run. It is, limited, yeah, yeah. A limited edition, almost. Almost, yes, almost limited <gasps> you should, edition. You should like number the bottom of the pans, like limited edition numbers. <laughs> so and what make I them usually more do desirable. is I do a release and I do so many, and then I start working on the next round. So if they miss out on the first round, I say I'll be opening a second round because there's only so many that I can make at a time. But you, you need to tell people they're limited editions. Like yeah. the, this it, you, uh, scarcity drives desire kind of thing. <laughs> and people know this about me. Most of my customers know this. So they know they have to be quick. My website crashed one time because of it. Well, that's because you're using Wix. I, I know. hate Wix <laughs> so much. Like, I can't say too much. Place. But yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Horrible, horrible. <laughs> what was my other so, one that I looked at? Oh, Squarespace. Squarespace is better. I, I I have my own set of issues with Squarespace, but Squarespace is perfectly fine. Okay. I, it, an exponentially better step up than Wix. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just hate Wix. So I, I hate it. Like, <sighs> they will never be a sponsor of this so podcast. I, I hate I them. should have spoken to you first. See, I went and spoke to someone else and they were using Wix. So they were like, yeah, it's great. Uh, it's horrible. <laughs> now, okay, I mean, S Squarespace is perfectly good. Uh, you know, I, I have my issues with them. It's a personal thing. But mm. uh, WordPress, I find to be the most user-friendly, but but it does oh, take some yes. skills. Yes, but it does take some computer skills to do yeah. it, for sure. You can, you can do it out of the box, but, like, you won't have all the – functionality you might want but anyways yeah, but yeah wix is absolutely horrible mm. squarespace <laughs> is pretty good i personally would encourage wordpress because of the customization like you really can make uh, it exactly yeah. the way you and can want. you do like um forums and things on it you can do everything oh that's awesome I mean, wordpress was originally a blog 
That was yes. it, it, that's how it was designed as yeah. a blog, and it became a website yeah. company, organization, whatever. But it, it originally it started as as a blog. Okay. So, yeah, they're all about those. Mm. But yeah, that's my personal preference. I'm being snotty, but yeah. that's okay. But I'm going to put that in my brain into my bank. But again, <laughs> it does take some. Like I would recommend you to get a reasonably skilled person who can build a web a WordPress website to build it. Okay. Once it's built, it's pretty easy to just use. Cool. But it's that initial building that you sort of want to. You know, I mean, you can even get a college student to do it, but oh, like yeah. you want a professional to do, to build it, and then using it is easy. Yeah, yeah, and that's an area I need to work on. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, like I, I, I taught, I taught my father. My father was like sixty some years old. I built a website and and then taught him how to use it in less than twenty four hours, and he was just going to the races with it. So wow, it, it's it's not hard to use. It's yeah. difficult to build, but once it's built. You're fat. It's hard work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, Any advice you have for any listeners that maybe would uh, want to make their own stuff or, you know, why to buy, why to buy custom? So with the custom, you're getting a product that has uh, basically it's mostly just your pigment and your binder and so you haven't got all of those extra bits and things in it <laughs> you know like your brightness you're, you're and so your... down selling your product you're like ah, it's easy anybody can make it <laughs> oh wait shit no buy mine yeah well it's twofold isn't it because it's using the product making the product but making the product is hard and this, uh, I mean, from when I first started to now, in the very beginning, it wasn't great. Okay, hold on one second. Wait, I have a question that I forgot to ask. You mentioned, okay, so you, you mull a paint and you only get 25 to 30 pans out of it. How long does that process take? So let's say you, to make 25 to 30 pans takes you how long from beginning to end? So what I do is I make a big batch and then store that paint. So that is the trick. You don't want to mull a batch every single time. So it might take you, depending on the color, one to two hours. <laughs> but then you've got a big batch. And then what you do is you, <laughs> like, let me, let me get this straight. Wait. Form, batch. Okay. I'm not sure I have the terminology right. Let me, let, let me run through what I'm hearing and tell okay. me if I'm right or wrong. So, you, you have a pigment and you take that pigment and then you bind it together with all the different chemicals and other things that you put together. And that process is called mulling. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Okay. You will take your pigment and you will mull it together and you will do this for between an hour to two hours. And out of that, you will get 25 to 30 pans of watercolor paint. Yes. And then you sell those for how much is a pan? about is it just over nine dollars us dollars that's that's what i saw on your website i just yeah. want to make sure that but the specialty ones true. are a bit more <laughs> okay nine nine dollars so nine dollars yeah. times 25 or 30 let's do 30 18 to 270 dollars for two hours of work minus all your hard costs you know the pigments and the chemicals and all this kind of stuff and then and then the amount of time that you're putting into like social media and building a community and doing all, how are you making money out of this <laughs> from the paints yeah 
<laughs> that does not sound like you're making like you're you're certainly not um let's say saving for retirement. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. No. 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 Definitely not. That's why it's hard. And I do this this is more of a hobby. Let's not tell people that. Let's tell, yeah. you're a professional. No, that's fine. <laughs> it started off as a hobby. Okay, that's great. Yes, I'm, everything starts off as a hobby. And I still treat it that way because I get a lot out of it. Does that make sense? It does. However, you, you would get more out of it if you had more income. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> you could get more. You could get more people to help you. You could get you know you know young boys to like do the manual labor for you, kind of thing, or whatever. Yeah, I could. <laughs> That sounded dirtier than I meant it yeah. to sound. But I guess I'm a control freak, so that would be a no. <laughs> oh, dear. That's terrible. <laughs> it's okay. I run my own podcast, and I edit it, and I do all my own social media. So as I'm a little bit of a control freak probably myself. So yeah. no judgment. You, you just like to do it your own way. And I guess as well the integrity factor and ensuring that, you know, you know – what's happened all the way through the process because yeah if something did go wrong then yeah you don't want to blame somebody okay but okay so let's take that so the for the future mm-hmm. of your company in New Zealand your corporation you know, <laughs> so do you intend to grow i mean because like there are sort of two different ways to do what i would yeah. picture sort of what you're doing which is sort of a you're a boutique unique small mom and pop kind of company. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you, and, well, and you could choose to make that your brand and continue to be that way for your entire existence and not to what we'll call it, grow and get bigger mm-hmm. and you know it's or you could choose to grow and get bigger and sell out and have your stuff in Target or or Kmart mm-hmm. or wherever. So what's your vision for the future? To not be the latter, so not grow. <laughs> I'm happy to just stay. <laughs> As I am, and I'm happy with the fact that I'm working with beautiful colours and pigments that I make for myself and that um, people purchase and get joy out of and that they all sell. So there's always demand there. I don't think I would want to get any bigger unless I ended up with a couple of staff, but not, not yet anyway, no. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend somehow like working in the term limited edition or some, some yeah. sort of vocabulary like that because as I said like scarcity breeds desire kind of thing so like you, you make people want them because there's limited edition it's yes. they look at t- tennis shoes and like all these other brands that do these like limited edition things and they're gone in an hour that's pretty much me right now <laughs> okay. so here's an example the set that I did have out I think 25 to 30, we're gone in 10 minutes. Okay, you're doing pretty well then if you can pull that off. Yeah, so, and that's when my website crashed. (laughs) I'll blame that on Wix. Well, one time. (laughs) No, in all honesty, it was probably your hosting company and had nothing to do with Wix. Exactly. I'm going to blame Wix because I don't like Wix. Yeah, (laughs) and you've got your outlet for the day. There you go. I have vented my disgruntled opinion of Wix. Yeah, you've just got it out of your system. Everything's all right. <laughs> oh, no, I've got plenty of other disgruntled things to discuss, but we'll, oh. we'll keep that for another time. Another time. <laughs> another time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm in that position right now. 
So I have that reputation that people know they have to be quick. No mucking about. How do people know? So like, do, do you do they just hear social from, media? They hear from other people. The well, I was going to say, do you do like e-newsletters? Or um, like, so so just your... a lot of posts on the Instagram and stories. So I get an average of five, four to 500 people viewing my stories every day. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. Like, I've been trying to use social media. I am absolutely horrible at it. I'm yeah. embarrassed. Like, when I ask people to be on the podcast, hey, we want to be on? And, and I'm just like, yeah, I've only got like so many hundred people on Instagram. It's rather pathetic. But anyways, <laughs> do you find that stories sort of drive more or actual posts on Instagram drive more? Stories are direct. So if you've got that many people viewing your stories, then you know, I've actually not listed products and just sold them on stories within the hour, all gone. Because there's a delay with how Instagram uh, allows people to see posts on the main feed. People might not see it for another day and then they'll go, oh, I missed the release. And I said, well, you need to be watching my stories. That's where I share everything up to date. So my best advice every time is in my posts as well, please turn on notifications for, for my stories and my Instagram posts because Instagram stories I'm posting people know I post all the time and if they're viewing it it should if they're viewing it regularly it should always be sitting at the top end just above you know at the top of the screen currently until they change the design again but until yes. they change it again exactly so on average I get four to five hundred every day viewing my stories which is pretty good I reckon even though you know I've got lots of followers we all know that that big numbers don't actually mean everything. You want an average pool of people there that are generating that, I guess, authentic audience. So those are in your stories. And if you keep your stories active all the time, it will always appear. You will always be in their face. So I always keep my stories active. I tried that and I just got tired of doing it. it yeah. It's exhausting. Like it's I would really imagine. Ex yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I can, I can relate. It is great for another reason. You can use your stories and then you can reuse that content in your main grid as well. So if you're doing like, say, videos you or images, you can reuse those same images or videos for reels and use that, repost that for people that missed it in your stories. If the content was good quality, say if it was a video of me swatching a paint and it came out really good, then I'll repost that as a reel for anyone that missed it in my stories. Or then it's permanently on my main grid so they can see it again. Because that's what people really want to see. They want to see the paint being swatched. <laughs> I'm going to sound so stupid. There's a difference between a story and a reel? Yes. Okay. But reels are, reels are new. They, they only came out, okay. what, like a month ago? Okay, that explains why I don't know what you're talking about. And then there's a new a new thing that's come out as well called guides. So Guides. Um, guides, yeah, guidebooks or something. And that means that you can put all your – you can correlate all your posts from your main feed into groups. So I put all my blog posts into one group and I put all my sets of colors into one group. So if people want a shortcut, they can go – into the guides and it's I think it's a picture of a, an icon of a book or something 
I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's the, yeah. Okay. It's like, it looks like a book. So you've got your main grid, you've got your... Um, for the listeners, we're both sitting here playing on our phones. Yes, we're, we're just um, looking at the little icons at the top. So you've got, I think it might be Reels next, and then Instagram TV, and then you've got Guides, and then after that you've got Tagged tagged posts as well. So yeah, quite a lot of content. I think you have things that I, I don't have on my Instagram. It could be because I'm a better tester, maybe. That could be why. Well, and also you you uh, have more than a certain number of followers and certain things are opened up. Like, like Possibly, I be, don't know. Well, yeah. like, well, like I, I know that like if it's under, I can't remember what it is. I think it's under like 5,000 followers or 10,000 followers. You can't do the shop button. Oh, yeah, can I can't do that yet either because I'm under okay, then it's like, yeah. Okay. It's 10,000. Yeah. So yeah. There, there are cer certain things that are opened up uh, mm -hmm. as your followers get larger. Et cetera, yeah. I hear I that's the know. one thing you can do is share links. <laughs> 10,000 followers. No gold ticket. <laughs> If I can get, if I got ten thousand followers, I would be ecstatic. So like, yeah. I don't even care about the ability to do the things. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I well, I look forward to it. it, it we're growing. We grow con. We we grow slowly and con consistently. And that's so, like, better. I have no great complaints. Yeah. Yeah. It's good when you do. It's gradual. Yeah. It's healthy. Not that I have a choice, but it's fine. Yeah, great. <laughs> exactly. I, I would think you'd like a bit more control there, but. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to handing over that control. I, w I look forward someday to be able to hire somebody to do social media for me. Oh, right. I, I, I think I'm too old. I'm 47 and I'm just out of touch and I don't get it. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know what people want. I don't know how they want. I like. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Whereas I love it. I love this. Like, I love a good conversation. I'm happy yeah. to do this, you know, and I can engage with this for as long as you want. But social media, I, it's beyond my, my mm. skill set, I think. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love other people's. I enjoy looking at social media, <laughs> but I just <laughs> yeah. don't like doing the production person for social media. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Any last topic that you care to talk about? to expand on that you didn't get to expand on something that we didn't touch on that you would like to discuss uh, i don't think so i think we talked about quite a lot including my recommendation to go on to wordpress <laughs> i'm still a teacher like so like i still gotta teach you know exactly yeah it's <laughs> yeah. <sighs> good yeah. i think if anyone's listening i guess if they're curious Instagram has a fabulous art community. If you're curious and dabbling in watercolors, then look me up. It's uh, it's fun. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> thank you.